0: Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series, in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. Well, hello. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing with me this conversation, this talk about El Gato Montes. I am honored. I'm flattered to be here. Hope my English stays with me all the time. Hope I don't get a little bit tired. This is the second time. Yesterday was my first time for doing this in another language than Spanish, so I ask you to be uh, lenient with me. Um, What we're going to talk about is not an opera. It's not a zarzuela, I mean. It is an opera. One has to be very careful with this because we tend to think that every single product Every single score written in Spain for the theater is a Zarzuela. And that is not right, but we will go through that a little bit later. And I, uh, I should be thankful, and I am thankful to Zarzuela, because that's the main reason I'm here. You're not here to listen to me talking about my relationship with Placido Domingo, but I will do it. Anyway, I apologize for that. And, uh, Of course, I'm here thanks to an invitation from Placido and the invitation from the Los Angeles Opera. And I want want to tell you that I have a relationship, or that my relationship with Placido Domingo started before I was even born. That's true. I'll tell you why. No, 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 I'm not kidding. My grandmother was Mexico's foremost theater actress. Most important, when she inaugurated the Palacio de Bellas Artes, Mexico's most important theatrical venue, venue. and uh, when she died, when she passed away, her corpse was honored on the stage of the Palacio de Bellas Artes. And uh, Placido's mother was Zarzuela's foremost singer and promoter in Spain, in Mexico, in the Americas. So she established in Mexico, and thanks, thanks to Zarzuela, Placido arrived to Mexico, and he's very Mexican also, for all of us, and for him too. And uh, the company, the Zarzuela company of uh, Placido's mother, Doña Pepita en and Don Placido en was like a sister company of my grandmother's theater company. So my mother, who passed away 10 years ago, became close friend of Placido. They played together in the theaters, and uh, that's why I am telling you, I was born loving him and admiring him before I ever even knew who he was. Then I became a big fan of his, and when I was like 15, Placido sang a single performance of Otelo at the Palacio de Bellas Artes, and I asked my mother to skip school one day so that I could go very early, very, very early in the morning to the box office and buy my ticket. It was a third floor ticket. I, did, I couldn't afford another one. A few days later, and the telephone rang at home. And my mother told me, you have a phone call. Yeah. And I said, who's that? She said, just take it. It's a phone call for you. Well, I took the phone and it was Placido Domingo. And Placido Domingo told me that he wanted me to attend the rehearsal if I wanted to. So I went. I couldn't believe it. I think it was a prank, maybe. And I went to the theater, and I attended the rehearsal, and then he saw me at his dressing room, and he gave me one ticket. He he asked me if I had a ticket, and I told him, yes, of course I have a ticket. And he told me, I think I might have a better one. (laughs) He gave a ticket for me, and um, then I attended the performance. It was a dream. Many years passed, and then at 27, I was appointed director of the opera, and I said, bingo. I've got Placido Domingo for sure. So the first thing I did was to call him. And uh, I told him, Placido, I've been appointed director of the opera in Mexico, and I'm sure you would like to come and sing for us. And he said, hold your horses. He said, "Um, I would first like to know what you're doing, what your project is, what you have done. Would you mind calling me in two years? And I said, okay, two years. That tells us who Placido is. He doesn't give things for granted, and he doesn't help just for the sake of helping. I mean, when it has to do with opera, when it has to do with an artistic project. Otherwise, he's an incredible altruistic person. So I called him two years later, and he said, I know, I know you've done a great job. And yes, I will be singing. I will be singing for you. And he sang one performance per year when I was there for free. Still hard for people to believe that. My relationship with him continued. And that's why I am here. I hope I'm also here because I have something to tell you. And what I have to talk about, as I was telling you, is about El Gato Montes, The Wildcat. In Penella's own words, an opera popular... Espanola. Who speaks Spanish here? How many people speak Spanish? Hmm, less than yesterday. Okay. So, because there are, there are many words and things, I, uh, f- f- small phrases I have to say in English. So, um, Penella, Spanish, popular, opera, Manuel Penella," The Wildcat. These are not only words. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a word freak because I know that words mean a lot. So, let's start by Peneya. Who was Manuel Peneya? Maybe you don't know about him, and I didn't know so much about him before I knew I had to talk to you. So then I studied. I still love studying, and I found out he was an amazing musician. He was born in Valencia in 1880. He died in Cuernavaca in Mexico in 1939. And he was no less than a child prodigy, a real, real, real child prodigy. By this I mean that when he was like four or five years old, he was playing well the piano and the violin. When he was eight, nine, 10, started composing. When he was 16, he uh, wrote his first uh, zarzuela. When he was 13, he was already playing violin in public. When he was 14, he was the organist of an important church in Valencia, 14 an organist who later became an opera composer. Sounds like Puccini, he did, did the same thing. Uh, and a prodigy, not a prodigy as Mozart, of course, but a prodigy, let's say, as Guno, who was also an incredible musician from, the, uh, from his very youth. So he was born in Spain, and Spain was mainly Zarzuela, of course. This half-sung, half-spoken, theater, musical theater, pieces. So he lived there in that music, Uh, he um, uh, breathed that music, and he started writing, composing, that kind of music. He also became a conductor, and when he was 17, he made his first tour to the Americas. That was very typical. Spanish musicians, Spanish composers, singers, as Placido, ask Pepito Mvila and, and Placido uh, Domingo, father about this, toured around America, around our continent. So he came already as a conductor when he was 17 in a Zarzuela troupe, in a Zarzuela company. And he went from Buenos Aires to Mexico City. He even became a painter. He even uh, became a musician and conductor of a Peruvian military band and he wrote and wrote more zarzuelas. But more than that, he became an homme de théâtre, a man of the theater. He lived the theater, not only in, but lived theater, knew every single job, profession, task which had to be done, and, and in for the theater, for the musical theater. When he was 23, he returned to Spain, and he became more and more famous, more and more known, his zarzuelas, still zarzuelas, were done, were premiered successfully. When he was 32, he returned to Latin America in another great and successful trip. He premiered in Buenos Aires a zarzuela called Las Musas Latinas, uh, which uh, is interesting because he started to use for his zarzuelas other kinds of music, Latin American, Caribbean, rhythms, music, even jazz. And then something important happened during that trip. He went again to Peru and he met Felipe Sazon. Felipe Sazon was a good writer, a good playwright, a good libertist, and they became incredible good friends. Not only them, but their wives. They were really buddies and they traveled together around uh, Latin America, and then the, the, the Penellas invited the Sassons to go to Spain. They went to Spain, and we know almost for sure that in that boat from Mexico to Spain, they might have started to talk about the idea or the project to write an opera, not a Zarzuela. And I will say a little bit later why this is interesting, difficult and daring in, that, in those days for a Spanish composer. They arrived in Spain, and both uh, couples traveled around Spain, and the Penellas wanted to show to Sazon, the Peruvian, the southern part of Spain, Andalusia, They went to Andalusia, but they went during Holy Week, which you might know is a very important moment for Andalusia. It's a worldwide known event. Attending Semana Santa in uh, Andalusia is a must for everyone. So they went to Córdoba, they went to uh, Sevilla, they went to Granada, and it's a fact. I'm sure that when they were there, they they might have said, our opera might happen, should be set here in Andalusia. So they started to work in the opera when they went to Madrid, and they started to work in the opera in a cafe called El Gato Negro, The Black Cat. If you're thinking about superstition, you're right. And you will see how superstition played tricks on them when they wanted to premiere El Gato Montes in Madrid. Hopefully here, superstition has not and will not arrive with that title. So they started to work on the opera. Of course, Sasson writing the libretto, but very close to Penella, who was also a writer. He had written even small theater, not musical, theater plays he thought he was, and he really was a writer. Not an excellent one, but he knew how to write. He knew about theater. He knew he might someday become also a good playwright. They finished together the first act, Sasson writing, Penella surely giving instructions, having feedback with them, and suddenly, when they were starting to write, El Gato Negro, of course, when they started to write the second act, Sasson's wife died on childbirth. Sasson was completely destroyed, depressed, he was really, he couldn't go on, and he told uh, the composer he quit, he couldn't finish the opera, uh, Penella tried to convince him, ask him to make an effort, he couldn't. And then Penella, who was an incredible good person, this shows something about him and about the opera, because these are ideas or feelings which appear in the opera, he was a good friend, was loyal, was grateful, and asked him if he could include his name as the libertist. Sasson told him, Of course not, I just wrote the first act, that would be unethical, I don't accept it. So, Penella, who was now slightly wealthy as a, uh, as a composer, asked him at least to receive 5,000 duros. I don't know what's that today, what would that be today, but it was a very generous amount of money so that ben, uh, Sasson could go through these problems while he recovered and uh, found work again. So. El Gato Montes, the wildcat, was premiered in Madrid, sorry, in Valencia, in 1916. Good success. And then Penella wanted to bring the opera to Madrid, of course, and then the black cat appeared. Not the wildcat, the black cat. When they were about to premiere in Madrid this opera, on the dress rehearsal, one, I won't do any spoilers, and I will tell you why I don't want to do spoilers, and I, will, I want to ask you something, as I did yesterday, and it worked. Not to read the synopsis, if you, if you haven't read it. If you haven't read it, if you have already read it, there's no problem, but I will propose to you an exercise. So, uh, the opera, uh, during the dress rehearsal for the premiere in Madrid, uh, one of the characters uh, is supposed to be shot, and was shot. There was a problem and he got wounded. He didn't die, but he got wounded, so the premiere had to be postponed. Peneo was disappointed, but then they waited some months and in another theater they tried again to premiere The Wildcat, but The black cat appeared once more. Few days before the premiere, the set designer shot to death another man in the theater because he was jealous. So it was a love triangle and he shot him. Again, again, it has to do with what we're going to see jealousy, rivalry, etc. So they had to postpone once more the premiere in Madrid of El Gato Montes, which finally was shown on that same year with enormous success huge, incredible success. Such a success that Penella became really, really wealthy. So with the money, he built or he developed his own Zarzuela company, still Zarzuela, and went to the Americas again with El Gato Montes. He premiered it in Buenos Aires, 1923, uh, with incredible success in other South American countries. Then in Mexico, and then he brought it to the United States, to New York, in an English translation, but with a happy ending. He changed the ending of the opera because he thought, or was told, that American audiences might be uh, more pleased if there was not such a bloody ending in the opera. So he changed that, and it's very important because Placido asked me to tell you something, which I will, if I don't, you please remind me. I I have to tell you something which you're going to see, which is not frequently done with Elgato Montes. So uh, Penella returned to Spain. There was even a silent movie filmed about Elgato Montes with music by Penella. Maybe it should have been music from the opera itself. He went back to Spain. He lived there many years more. Then he came back to Mexico and died in 1939. He left more than 80 scores for the theater, only two operas. El Gato Montes and Don Gil de Alcalá. Don Gil de Alcalá comes afterwards, and it is a chamber orchestra, it's it's a chamber opera. It's a beautiful opera. So, this is the story. This is the story of Manuel Penella and the way he wrote or created El Gato Montes. So now, let's talk a little bit about the opera itself. Una opera popular. Why I am saying that opera is a difficult issue for the Spanish people, for the Spanish um, composers, critiques. It has to do with the origins or the way opera spread around the world. I always think about Homo sapiens immigration when I think about opera. And it's not that far-fetched. It's because when our species left from Africa, they started to adapt to different environments to be influenced by those environments and started to change. That's what happened also to opera. Opera is an Italian invention. It went first to France, an Italian took it to France and made a crossover. He said, okay, here what, work, what really works is theater, la Comédie Française and ballet. So I will use pieces from la Comédie Française and I will include ballet in my operas. Bingo. French opera. Tragedie Lyrique was born. Then when opera went to other countries, it was not that popular. People could not follow what was going on. There were no subtitles. They were sung in another language. So they started or tried to translate operas or to do operas in their own languages and also to include spoken dialogue. Why? It was easier to understand. If larger parts of the opera were done in the native tongue, People could understand, and if they were done in their own language, better, much better. They arrived that way to England, and ballad opera was born. Ballad opera, the great grandmother of the actual musical. Then it went to Spain, same thing happened. Spoken dialogue, plus song, di- song uh, parts, plus Spanish included, bingo, zarzuela was born. So that's the way zarzuela was born, and it was almost the only uh, genre cultivated by Spanish composers. Nevertheless, there were some rara avis who were interested in opera and tried to do opera, but of course they had to do it in Italian. Maybe you remember the film Amadeus. You remember the poor Mozart struggling with the Italian composers in the Habsburg uh, palace trying to convince them to do opera in German and not in Italian and that was out of the question. That was impossible. So some Spanish composers did opera but they did it in Italian. Whenever They, try, they didn't even dare to think about doing it in Spanish. It was out of the question. And as such an important artist and uh, playwright and poet like Calderón de la Barca Uh, predicted that opera was going to have a hard time in Spain. He said, our audiences are not prepared and will not be prepared to follow a huge or a large show-only song. They need dialogues. So this brings us to beginnings of the 20th century when Penea has this idea about doing an opera. Is he the only one in Spain? No. But there are very little a uh, few composers who did it. Some of them might be known to you, and some of the pieces might be known to you, like La Vida Breve from Manuel de Falla, or El Retablo del Maese Pedro, like Groyescas from Granados, or like um, Los Amantes de Teruel from Breton, and of course, like The Wildcat from Penella. So, in that moment, there was a contradiction going on with the zarzuela and opera conflict. These few operatic composers wanted to do a national operatic genre opposed to the Italian or Italianized opera genre, which was the mainstream in their country. But in spite of this, they wanted to touch, to work with the traditional elements of their country. They wanted to do an international opera, but in Spanish and cosmopolite on one hand and on the other hand dealing with Spanish subjects. Sounds a little bit like a contradiction and it was hard for them because then they decided something. Okay, we want to do big opera, great opera. We want to do it in a Spanish way So we are not going just to quote nice Spanish tunes. We're going to do something with those tunes, something with those melodies, songs, rhythms, dances prevalent in the different regions of Spain. There was also a very scholar and intellectual approach to folklore in those days, like it happened, for instance, in Hungary, where Bartók or Kodai were working with uh, the music, the traditional music, in another way. Same thing was happening in Spain, and that's the way they started to make their new operas. Penella said, I will do an international opera, but with Spanish subjects, but there's also one thing. It is impossible it is wrong, it would be wrong for a Spanish composer to write an opera which is not based on the style our people sing, our vocality, our songs. So he adapted or adopted that style to the way the singers are singer. That's why he called it an opera popular because popular, I don't know, yeah, there's also this ambiguity in English. In Spanish, popular means from the people, but also uh, well-known, well-accepted. That happens also in English, isn't it? Something popular is something well-known, but the origin of the word has to do with people, popular, people. So he made that, and that was one of the great assets of his production. In those days, Opera, the Sarsuela, was decaying. It was not that good. Operetta was rising. And uh, Peneya did write an excellent opera. An opera which had an incredible success, but then slowly it started to disappear, even in Penella's own time. It slept for many years until Placido Domingo, who else, realized there was an incredible gem there which was completely lost for the audiences and he was the champion of El Gato Montes. He unearthed the score he started to bring it to other countries, he started to uh, make many presentations to sing it all around the world and he even persuaded Deutsche Grammophon, the recording company, to record that opera. That's quite amazing and quite something. An opera needs a libretto. i already told you that the libretto was partially written by Penella himself. But why is he doing this? A bullfighter, a bandit, sort of bandit, a gypsy, Andalusia, sounds familiar. La 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 la, la 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 la. No? It's Carmen. Are they copying Carmen? No way. Are they inspired by Carmen? Not at all. Then why? Why is he doing that? I have a theory. I'm speculating. I think he knew he was aware Carmen was such a popular work all around the world and also in Spain. So he profit from that popularity and he tried to do something similar to it. But if we really pay attention to this opera, we will see there's nothing related to Carmen. Because a bullfighter, a gypsy, a bandit are people who live in a country, it's like a I don't know, like any, a postman or whatever. It's people that do some things in a country. He's not trying to portray a bullfighter. He's writing not the bullfighter, but with a bullfighter. He's writing a different story. Besides, all this bullfighter literature is not Spanish, it's French. Spanish people did not invent it. They were not so uh, involved with it or obsessed with it, who invented it? A French countess who traveled around uh, Spain and wrote a novel, La Condesa de Abrantes, the Abrantes Countess. And then people like Theophile Gautier, the poet, and of course Prosper Merimet, the uh, writer of the original novel which inspired Bizet for his Carmen, took those Subjects, But what penella wanted to do was just to develop a story about the human nature. The story is not about a wolf fighter, and not about a gypsy, and not about a bandit. It's about jealousy. It's about gratitude. It's about rivalry. It's about a woman torn between the two things. Being faithful to someone who has protected her and rescued her or be faithful to the love of her life. That's, the, that's what the opera about. The opera is about that. But we see these characters because it was traditional that Spanish authors focused on the different regions of Spain and he was very much interested in Andalusia. Penella finished the libretto and one can tell that. One can tell that because the first act is a masterpiece Not only in its music, but in its writing. Second act, a little bit less. Third act, come on, he killed himself. He decided to kill two of the three main characters in the second act. And you still have one act to go. (laughs) You have lost all the possible dramatic tension there. Isn't it? So, Placido asked me to tell you he decided to help Penella and Delgato Montes. <laughs> and he did right. If Penella himself wrote a different finale for the New York production, he was accepting there might be a different way, wasn't he? If uh, when he did the zarzuela about La Malquerida, a piece by Jacinto Benavente, a Spanish contemporary comp- uh, writer who had won the Nobel Prize, he knew pieces, theater pieces, could be manipulated. So Placido has manipulated, in a very, very serious way, this opera. I told you about spoilers and about not reading the synopsis. Because uh, let me tell you something, an anecdote which I really love. Uh, I, I do all this a lot for young people in difficult situations. I do this in prisons. I do this in many ways, try to approach opera. And I was uh, lecturing about La Traviata before uh, Metropolitan Opera House uh, transmission. And then I said, well, and you know when Violeta dies, and, and then a couple of guys, young guys, told me, hey, why are you telling us the end? You're completely, why are you doing that? And I realized, wow, first of all, I envied them. You're going to see Traviata for the first time and you don't even know what it is about. What incredible situation. But I realize that we are very unfair to the composers. Or do you think that Puccini wrote Madama Butterfly thinking everyone knew before the beginning of the opera that Cho, Cho San would stab herself? Of course not. Could you imagine yourself, uh, all of you going to the movies and reading a complete synopsis of the picture before you arrive? But we do that all the time with opera, and I think it's unfair. So, if you have not read the synopsis, I kindly ask you, this time, not to do so. I did that yesterday, and I must tell you that by the end of the performance, many people told me it was a great experience, and they had enjoyed it a lot. So, give it a chance, it might work. So I have to tell you what Placido did without telling you the story. I'm in trouble. So I will just tell you that Benella decided to eliminate two of the main characters by the second act and Placido has changed that in order to eliminate just one. (laughs) So instead of having the eliminated character appearing somehow in the third act, he will make her appear alive. I'm not saying anything, but you will understand afterwards. And uh, he had also to commission some music, to, to, uh, uh, to have new music for that eliminated role to be alive and sing a little bit. So of course I can imagine they're using Penella's uh, music from other works to do this. So uh, I really, really think and I am sure that, uh, Peneya would be thankful to Placido. There's another thing one member of the Domingo family asked me to say, and that's Marta Domingo, Placido's wife, who was very helpful to me in preparing this uh, talk. Uh, she gave incredible feedback, and she was telling me, Gerardo, one should be careful not to confuse or think that gypsy equals Spain. Many people abroad might think that, or think that, and that's not true. Gypsy is just, uh, I wouldn't say a tribe, but I would say a group of people who are nomadic, traveling from one place to another, and who somehow established in the southern part of Spain. But it's only an accident. It's not uh, the main part of the society. The music. What did Penella do with this? Did he write just a larger zarzuela where everything was sung? No, by no means. He did write an opera. And he, di- he did write an incredible opera. You know, when I was asked to come here to give a talk before a performance, I was thrilled. When they told me, it is about Elgato Montes, I said, okay, sure, because I was not that familiar with the score. And I was maybe a little bit skeptical. I had heard it a couple of times, of course, listening to Placido. And I said, okay, I need to study. And I started to study and to listen to the piece, and I discovered a marvelous piece and a marvelous score. To start with, I would say, I discovered, and I am not exaggerating, a sort of Puccinian Spanish opera. It really has a lot to do with what Puccini did, of course. I wouldn't say Penella is Puccini, I am not that stupid. (laughs) Nevertheless, there are lots of uh, fragments in this opera which can really stand a comparison to some of Puccini's music. Why am I saying that? Because Puccini relied mainly on his vocal capacities, on his inventiveness, his melodic inventiveness. And he's so fond, Puccini is so fond of his melodies that we listen them one time and another and another and another during the whole opera. You can listen to parts of Un dì Bedremo in Madama Butterfly many times. And not only that, the orchestra quotes time after time some of the most beautiful melodies in the opera. Penea does exactly the same, but always with this Spanish taste flavor. This is an opera. It is like if you were cooking. Penella is using Spanish ingredients, but he's not doing a Spanish dish at all. So it tastes Spanish, but it is not Spanish. That's one of the most fascinating things you will uh, experience with this performance. What else about Puccini? Puccini was a real Wagnerian moderate He had done his Wagner homework very well, and he knew about leitmotifs, these small melodic, harmonic, orchestral uh, cells that appear once and again, one time after the other, all around the opera. These leitmotifs, these small fragments of melody represent a character, an object, a conflict, Many things. So we, it's like some sort of musical post-it on the score. So every time you hear to Solea, the main female role in the opera, you will listen fragments of the same music. The very beginning of the, play, of the opera, Gives you a beautiful melody which you will be listening once and again and again and again, which is like the leitmotif of the whole opera. There's also a motif for El Gato Montes, for the tenor, for Rafaelillo. So that's Wagnerian through Puccini. Now, there can also be made some slight comparison or analogies with Wagner. I wouldn't say that Penella is a Wagner like figure, but there are similarities. Wagner wrote his own libretto, isn't it? Penella wrote his own libretto. Wagner used leitmotifs. Penella uses leitmotifs. Wagner didn't care about opposing a loud, aggressive orchestra to the singers. Penella does the same. This is not a picnic for the singers at all. At all, the tenor has a very struggling job. It is high, in the tessitura, it is difficult, and it has to face the orchestra every time. We can also find flamenco. What is flamenco? Flamenco is this Arabian influence and mixture with the Spanish music, the cantejondo, the flamenco. We can find it from time to time, not quoted again, because this is not a pasticho. You will not find a single melody which belongs to another tradition or another writer, which is a popular melody Penella uses. Never, not even once. That's very important, one has to credit, to give credit to Penella for doing that. But we will find the flamenco just as as small abelimenti, ornaments within the melody of many of the singers. Uh, You will find also a lot of bullfight music mainly the so-called Paso Doble. Let me just tell you that the Paso Doble is like a, some sort of like a military march which is used to go with the bullfighter and his group of other bullfighters and the picador when they go into the ring, into the arena. This music is very important because it somehow sets the atmosphere for the bullfight. So Penella wrote an actual Paso Doble which has been transformed or which has uh, turned into the most famous pasodoble in the world. Many, if not most, of the corridas de toros, of the bullfights in the world, use that music. Penella composes a pasodoble, incredibly beautiful, but then he keeps on using it as a leitmotif, but also as a rhythmic drive to push all the time the music forward and forward and make us feel excited, really hypnotized by the bullfight music atmosphere. So remember a couple of things that I've said, please. This is not an opera about Spain or about Spanish characters, although they are there. This is an opera about you, about us. That's what opera is about, it tells us what we feel, what we like, and what we don't like about ourselves. This opera is not only called The Wildcat, but that it is actually a wildcat. Why? Because it looks familiar, but it is not. It seems tameable, but it is not. It is beautiful and wild and aesthetic, but also aggressive. Because it has lived for years and decades in the night, in the dark, in the wilderness, unseen, unheard. And now it has, thanks to our beloved Placido, emerged from that darkness and, distant and, and distance and is here haunting and seducing us all with its beauty, its music, its vocality, its power, and its gripping dramatic intensity. So let us all be once again its joyful and delighted praise. Thank you very much. You've been listening to L.A. Opera's Behind the Curtain. Thanks, and see you at the opera. If you've enjoyed listening to L.A. Opera's Behind the Curtain, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to share this with your friends on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll see you at the opera.